Welcome to the Building Healthy Organizations podcast. We understand how the human brain works and how that impacts behavior in the workplace. I'm glad you joined us today for our continued journey to understand how to build a healthy organization. Good data. What is good data? How do you use good data? That's what I want to focus on today. Turning good data into good actions only happens with intent. You have to be intentional about taking good data and turning it into good action steps. But it starts with good data. Where do you get good data? How do you find it? Today, we're going to focus primarily on different planning strategies, specifically around people. One of the most difficult areas to plan for in any organization or team is how do we plan for people, for their growth, for supporting them, for equipping them, for training them, for onboarding new people. Those are key areas. Your people are your primary asset. If you don't plan well, those are the the people that is the asset that is going to either help you succeed or unfortunately not succeed. So for any plan to achieve the desired outcomes, there has to be a process of getting good data, which gives you good insight and then turning that into good action steps. I want to share with you a recent example I have had of working through this process with a specific client and their organization. I call it the unknown root causes, and I think you'll see why I title it that way in a minute. I'm listening to a senior leader. They're very frustrated with the lack of collaboration and communication that they perceive in their team. They can't understand why there seems to be a bottleneck where there used to be free flow of communication and why productivity seems to be diminishing on a pretty regular basis. So I ask a few questions to find out what's going on here. I had no idea what the situation was. Here's what I found after I asked those questions. 75% of their workers are now remote. Their weekly meetings are via virtual connections, and the feeling they get is it's very awkward. They don't like it. They're not getting good results out of those meetings. Managers are doing more work that should be done by their direct reports. People are not growing and developing at the desired pace. And several key employees have left recently. These are the things that the senior leader is seeing. This is his observations. But that isn't where we stop because those are symptoms. That is not the root cause behind the symptoms and the outcomes that this senior leader is experiencing. So I ask some deeper questions. And here's what came out of that. 75% of their workers are now remote. That's point number one. 
many of those workers are actually ready to come back to the office, but have never been offered that option. This organization is what I call an informal communicative organization, and they used to get a lot of their best ideas during casual conversations that happen in the course of normal business. So think of water cooler conversations or stopping by somebody's office to brainstorm a problem or that kind of approach. Well, guess what? With 75% of your people being remote, that doesn't happen organically. These opportunities have gone away as they have moved to be more remote. Okay, so their weekly meetings, point number two, the weekly meetings seem awkward. The virtual meetings seem awkward. When I asked what that looked like, here's what I found out. They said most people don't turn on their cameras. Well, think about what that means. You have no idea what the other person is doing unless they're actually talking in that moment. If you can't see them, How engaged are they? How much are they paying attention? Are they playing on their phone? Are they sending text messages? What are they doing if you can't see them? And they fell into the trap of having the same agenda for every meeting because it was easier that way and it seemed at first as if that was the best way to approach virtual meetings. And actually, that's about the worst way to approach a virtual meeting. You want those to be changed up. You want to have different agendas, shift things around, cover the things you need to cover in your meetings, especially if they're virtual and remote. But make sure that you make them interesting and engaging. And that's the leader's role is to ensure that those meetings are engaging and turn on the cameras so that people will be more accountable to be engaged. Managers are doing more work that should be done by their direct reports. Well, here's what we found out. Managers are finding it much easier just to do the work themselves or make the corrections that need to be made. And instead of trying to get their remote workers to do that, Literally, the manager said to us, it's not worth it. We'd much rather just get it done and do it ourselves. We can do it much faster. Here's the problem with that. The manager then is doing the work of the employee, the direct report, and they're not operating at their highest level, their highest value to themselves, to their team, to the organization. And so everybody's getting pulled down further into the weeds. The bottlenecks are being created. The collaboration is going away. And there's another important point here. The direct reports, the employees are not learning from their mistakes. They're not being given the opportunity to grow, to learn by correcting things, by redoing things. And whether they like it or not, that's an important part of the growth process. People are not growing and developing at the desired pace. Well, as we stated before, part of that is they're having those opportunities taken away from them. But also, the 
training has become more and more online, asynchronous learning. Do it whenever you can, you know, make sure you do it. And here's what I know about that. Unless people are fully engaged and want to learn, that's an afterthought. And people see it as an afterthought. They don't see it as a benefit. And that's a problem. Because if you don't drive a learning culture, then people are not going to be accountable to that. They're not going to hold themselves accountable to that. The last point, and probably one of the most costly Several key employees have left recently. As we dug into this and really did some exit interviews, talked to some people, here's what we found out. Two of those employees, key employees, left, looked for another position because they wanted to be back in the office but did not think that was an option. And that is a flat failure of communication. And that, that's a huge loss to an organization because you don't just lose the productivity of those people. You lose their institutional knowledge and you lose all of the unique knowledge they have about how their business works and how to get things done. Most that left were looking to be a part of an organization where they felt more a part of what was happening. These are all new dilemmas that we're facing with this virtual and remote workplaces, the hybrid teams, the remote workers. These, these are significant dilemmas, and we're starting to see the real gaps that this is creating. What happens when you assume? Well, I think we all know where that goes. Assuming is not a great thing. Assuming is the slippery slope that leads to all kinds of problems. The data was there for the senior leader. He just did not have a good way to get that information in a usable format. It was there, but it took us a while to uncover what the root causes were. Now that we know what they are, we can fix those things. We can improve and enhance culture. We can do a variety of things. The solutions themselves are not that difficult, but planning without good data, you can go in a million different directions and miss the mark every single time. Good data is data that helps you make your very best decisions, and it's readily available to you. I think that's an important combination. It is data that will help you make good decisions, create good action steps, but it's easily available to you. That's when you can put good data to work. So what's the point of all of this? Too many times I have seen strategic plans fail because they were based on faulty data or just frankly missing data, data that was not even thought about or looked for. 
one of the most difficult areas to get good data is on the most important asset any organization has, and that's the people, the people in an organization. Leaders often assume that this data is either not available or at least it's not easy to get to. And that is far from the truth. There are many ways to get good data on people, on leaders, on teams, and even an entire organization. And no, I'm not just talking about climate surveys. It's funny that came up because I recently had a business owner proudly hand me their most recent climate survey for their company. He asked me what I would do with it. First off, I don't think he appreciated my comment about them selling their product by the pound. What I mean by that, it was literally four or five inches thick in this huge oversized binder. And I don't know what it weighed, five pounds, eight pounds, 10 pounds, whatever it was. it was. It was a whopper. And I really seriously considered dropping it into the trash can that was between us. There was a a handy trash can. I really thought about making a point and dropping it into the trash can. Now, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying climate surveys are bad. I'm not saying they're useless. But without a bridge in how to best use the information, how to turn that information into good action steps that will help you achieve your strategic goals. Without that, it pretty much is useless information. It's nice to know information. But most climate surveys I've looked at don't have that piece. They don't build the bridge to how to get where we want to go. They're happy to tell you where you are right now and where you've been in the past. What's missing is the path forward, or what I call a success pathway. And all of this is being intentional about how you go about gathering data and then what you do with that data once you gather it. If your source of data is flawed, and this is common sense, then it's not going to be that helpful to you. As a matter of fact, it could be harmful to you. So good data, how do we turn good data? Let's just assume, there goes that assume thing. Sorry about that. Let's just agree that we have found good sources of data. How do we turn that data into good actions, good decisions? To get the strategic results that you want, you have to have good data. That's the starting point to make your plans. Then you need good action steps to ensure that the right things are being done consistently so you can achieve the right results or the desired results. Do you know what the biggest roadblock is to achieving results? Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what kind of role you're in. You could be a salesperson or a leader or an owner of a company or the janitor. It makes no difference what role you're in. The biggest roadblock to your success are disruptive emotions. These emotions 
And it doesn't matter. They can be positive or they can be negative emotions. They could be fear and anxiety and stress and all of that stuff. Or they could be hope and excitement, but they may lead you in the wrong direction. Disruptive emotions are the biggest roadblock to achieving success for any person, team, or organization. Now, those emotions that derail you, they're, they're really only two primary things. They are energy and they are information. That's what emotions are. Our brain takes a thought that, are, that we put meaning to and emotions are generated out of that. And those emotions drive us to certain decisions, certain behaviors. You've heard of the, you know, the fight, flight, freeze response and, and that kind of thing. That's what we're talking about here. But it's more complicated than that as well. So I'm not advocating that you remove the emotional element from what you do. As a matter of fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. Learn how to better navigate your emotions for more strategic outcomes. If if emotions give you energy, and we know that they do, and they give you information, and we know that's true, then we need to be using that information and that energy to generate the, the fuel that we need for the next challenge or to take advantage of the next opportunity. That energy is important and we don't want to lose it. So where do we take this? In planning, people will always play a major role in achieving the desired outcomes. Unless you're a solopreneur and you're the only person that is responsible for getting the success necessary. And even then, if you think about it, you're serving other people in some fashion or somebody is buying something from you or you're providing products or services to other people. People are always going to be involved in what's going on. And in most cases, they're critically important to the success that you would like to see. So when we think about our planning processes, not getting good data on where your people are creates a very significant unknown. It's a huge gap, and it's a gap most organizations move forward with in their planning process. And I am not really sure if that's because they don't realize that's important or they don't know how to get that information or they simply don't care, which is certainly a possibility. It creates a very significant chance of failure, of meeting the expectations. It's just as important to equip people with the tools to manage their emotions as it is to make sure you have the right machinery in place, you've got the right software in place, you've got the right operating systems up and running. As a matter of fact, preparing your people will be the highest return on investment 
over any other asset. And I would put that up against anybody's argument. Happy to have that debate with anybody. Emotional data is readily available in the form of EQ assessments, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence assessments. These are scientific measures that provide excellent insight into how prepared someone is to lead, to make good decisions, to operate and execute their responsibilities, to navigate the changing environment around them. These are critical core skills that people are either well-equipped with or they are not. And most people could grow these skills and these talents very quickly. Emotional intelligence is something that you can develop and grow in a fairly short period of time if you're intentional about it. And there's huge benefits to doing that. So not knowing exactly where you are, let me give you three steps you can take to ensure you get better results and better outcomes. And again, we're talking about turning good data into good action steps as you create your strategic plans and goals for the next quarter, the next year, and beyond. Here are these three steps. Number one, assess where your people are today. Use validated EQ assessments to get insight into the primary drivers of their behavior, their actions, and their decision-making, which is emotions. Emotions and emotional drivers. How well do they navigate emotions in themselves and in others? That is proven to be the most critical skill set you can have for success in our world today. Now, getting good data first and from that good data, focus on action steps that will lead to greater outcomes. Action steps that will truly help you and your people achieve what you want to achieve. Equip people to be better prepared, especially for the unknown. Number three, create your plans with the best possible data in hand, making sure that you're pairing good data with the right action steps. Don't let uncertainty about what you can measure stand in the way of getting the data that you need. Ask people how they have gained the insight they need. Ask other owners, senior leaders, leaders, managers. Ask other people, what did they look for? What did they find? Use their experience to help drive your success. These may seem like simple steps, but the impact is profound. I had someone ask me recently, how to prepare for the unknown. Here's what I said. You cannot prepare for the unknown, but you can prepare yourself and your people to be ready to embrace what comes next, whatever that happens to be. I'll repeat that. You cannot prepare for the unknown. There's too many 
possible contingencies, too many possibilities out there of what might happen. That would drive you crazy to try and prepare for that. So you cannot really prepare for the unknown, but you can prepare yourself and your people to be ready to embrace whatever comes next, no matter what it is. Remove the roadblocks, enhance agility and resilience, and be ready. That is the path to success in our world today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Building Healthy Organizations by EQ Fit. We do understand how the human brain works and how that impacts behavior and performance in the workplace. We also love hearing your suggestions and ideas. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at gscfit.com. For more information and inspiration, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course our website, eqfit.org.